You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to another edition of Locked On Zags, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host as always, Stephen Carr. If you want to get more information on all of the realignment talk going on in college football, which could end up affecting college basketball as well. We've got the Locked On Big 12 podcast hosted by Josh Neighbors. We've got the Locked On SEC podcast hosted by Chris Gordy. There's no better place to get all of your conference news than following all of our Locked On conference podcasts on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Today is Thursday, August 5th. We are now 96 days away from the start of college basketball. As I mentioned yesterday, for those of you who missed it, Each day from now until the start of the season, we are using that number in the countdown and relating it to Gonzaga in some way, shape, or form. Yesterday was the number 97, and that's how many threes Zach Norvell hit in his sophomore season at Gonzaga, which is the third most in school history. Today, the number 96, we are 96 days away from the start of college basketball season. The number 96 is the free throw percentage of Derek Rivio in his senior season. Also a Gonzaga record and one that is most likely never going to be broken. He went a ridiculous 148 for 154 from the foul line his senior year. Tops in all of college basketball that year at 96%. He's also number two in NCAA history for career free throw percentage at 92.7%. So shout out to Derek Rivio. Check back tomorrow to see what the significance of number 95 is as we continue our countdown to college basketball season. Today on the show, we are looking back on the 2003 Gonzaga Bulldogs. Dan Dickow is gone, uh, and they struggled a little bit in the non-conference, but they did enough to earn the first at-large bid in school history, and they played arguably the best NCAA tournament game in school history right up there with the UCLA game from a few months back. We'll also continue our Path to Playing Time series, as we have been doing over the past couple of weeks, with some words on Abby O'Connor, who could be the biggest breakout player on this year's women's roster. We're also going to break down the WCC schedule release for both the men and the women here in just a second. But first, a very quick rundown of the NBA, uh, the NBA Summer League action from last night. And there's only one guy who actually played, and that was Joel Ayayi. The other three did not play last night. Uh, Jonathan Williams the third did not play on the back end of a back-to-back, and neither did Killian Tilly, and neither did Zach Norvell. I made a mistake in um, the Salt Lake Summer League. I thought that... Um, the Spurs and Grizzlies played on Wednesday. They actually play on Friday. So um, uh, Tilly and Zach Norvell both got the night off on the back-to-back. On Wednesday night, both of their teams ended up losing to Utah's two teams. So Friday night, uh, 4 p.m. Pacific time, if you want to watch that, it's the Spurs and the Grizzlies. It's Zach Norvell and it's Killian Tilly. Uh, they should both be back into the lineup. Killian Tilly definitely will be. And so that game is actually going to be on ESPNU. So if you're interested in watching something on Friday late afternoon, if you've got nothing going on, it'll be Killian Tilly taking on Zach Norvell, 4 p.m. Pacific time on ESPNU in the Salt Lake Summer League. And then in the California Classic Summer League, that wrapped up uh, on Wednesday with Joel Yai playing uh, again for the Lakers. And he had about as neutral of a game as you could possibly have. He scored no points. On zero of two shooting, he had five rebounds and an assist and a turnover and about 21 minutes of playing time. And his plus minus on the court was zero. 
So really about as neutral as a stat line as you could possibly have. Getting five rebounds is great. Uh, Joel Yaya, of course, is one of the best rebounding guards um, in the last couple of years in college basketball, and hopefully he can translate that to the NBA. The uh, Lakers ended up beating the Kings 84-74. to And so this is the end of the California Classic, and now the Lakers will move to Las Vegas, and they will start their summer league on Sunday night uh, in Las Vegas. All right, let's talk about the WCC schedule release that came out on uh, Wednesday morning. Obviously, we knew what the matchups were and who Gonzaga would not play uh, a second time this season, but still, it's interesting to see kind of what the road schedule and what the home schedule is going to be like. So I want to point out uh, just a couple of things here. The first thing that I like to look at um, when looking at these schedules is if there's any difficult uh, road stretches. And one of the things I look at is if they play a home game Thursday and then a tough road game uh, on Saturday too late, two days later, and they do not have that pretty much this entire season. The only one that's really difficult whatsoever is they get BYU at home January 13th, and then they have to go play at Santa Clara on January 15th, that Saturday. But with how well they've handled Santa Clara over the past few seasons, um, I'm not sure that's necessarily a huge uh, worry, but still, it is something notable. And then the other thing to mention here is this is the most uh, friendly road schedule that they've had in probably 15 years. Every single season in the WCC since 2005, Gonzaga has either played a stretch of three out of four games on the road or three straight road games. They do not have that on the schedule this year. Everything is just two two road games in a row, and then it's broken up by at least two home games. And they've got two um, uh, three-game homestands in a row. So the basically the easiest possible road schedule you could ask for. Um, and it's the first time, like I said, since 2005 that they don't have a stretch of either three out of four on the road or three straight road games. A couple other quick hitters here is that um, their two St. Mary's games are both in the final two and a half weeks of the season. They're two out of the final four games of WCC play are against St. Mary's. They host uh, the Gales on February 12th. And then they play at St. Mary's, the final game of the regular season, which will be St. Mary's Senior Night. Really, the hardest part of the schedule might be the end. They end the season at San Francisco and at St. Mary's Thursday, Saturday, which should be two really, really good environments. And if Gonzaga is still in the top five and either St. Mary's or San Francisco or both are fighting for at-large bids, then those two games, uh, those two atmospheres are going to be absolutely crazy. In terms of um, the students, students are gone for the January 6th and January 8th home games against San Francisco and Pepperdine, but they are going to return for the BYU home game on January 13th. Classes start January 11th, that Tuesday, so students will be back at the kennel, and it should be rocking for that BYU game on the 13th. They open up at San Diego and at LMU, so they got a, um, a Southern California road trip for New Year's on December 30th and January 1st. This is the fourth year that they've had this 16-game schedule uh, since Gonzaga threatened to leave for the Mountain West. Uh, one of the concessions that they made was to give two more non-conference games. On the women's side, uh, they still have a full 18-game true round robin where they play everybody twice and the women's team has the opposite of the men's team in which their road schedule is actually quite difficult 
I mentioned the two things that we look for are a home game on that Thursday and then a tough road game coming up on a Saturday. And Gonzaga has one of those um, in, the, I think, the second week of the season. They play at home against Portland on Thursday, and then they play at St. Mary's that Saturday. St. Mary's has been down the last couple of seasons, but still a rivalry game on the road with a little bit of travel and a short turnaround is always very difficult. And Gonzaga also has uh, three different road stretches where they play either three out of four on the road or they have a three-game road trip. Uh, they start the season with three out of four on the road at LMU, at Portland, and then they come home and play Santa Clara, and then they go to Pacific, so that's three out of four. And then in the middle of the year, they play at St. Mary's, at Pepperdine, at San Diego in a three-game road trip. And then towards the end of the year, and this is probably the most brutal stretch you could ask for, at Santa Clara, at San Francisco, and then they play St. Mary's at home before going at BYU for their final road game. So they get three out of four road games with the final one being at BYU on a short turnaround. And BYU is most likely going to be picked number one in the conference next year. So that is about as brutal as it gets uh, for the Gonzaga women. Senior nights. For the women, it's going to be at home against LMU on February 26th. And for the men, it's going to be at home against Santa Clara on February 19th. Um, something else to note, a very minor thing, is that there will be one double header at the McCarthy Athletic Center next year. It's going to be on January 8th. The Gonzaga women play at home against Santa Clara, and the Gonzaga men play at home against Pepperdine. So you'll see the women in action that afternoon, and then the men in action uh, that night. All right, that's enough breakdown for the WCC schedule. Coming up, we reminisce on the 2003 Gonzaga Bulldogs. Dan Dickow is gone. He has graduated. He is off to the NBA. But Blake Stepp, he is now a star, and Roni Turioff is starting his ascent to greatness. Before we talk about them, today's episode is being sponsored by Rock Auto. RockAuto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. They have everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic or daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The RockAuto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brands, specifications, and prices you prefer. Chain stores have different price tiers for professional mechanics and do-it-yourselfers. RockAuto.com's prices are the same for everybody and are reliably low. RockAuto.com is for everybody and does not require membership or account login. Just go to RockAuto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Right locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. So Dan Dickow leaves after the 2002 season to go to the NBA. And not only do they lose Dan Dickow, but they also lose Alex Hernandez and they also lose Anthony Reason, two uh, meaningful role players. So Gonzaga, to start the 2003 season, they end up getting ranked 22 um, based on what they did the year before. But they were trying to find out exactly what the roster would be and who would step up. Zach Gord, who was the second leading scorer on that 2002 team, um, took a huge step back and was passed on the depth chart by Corey Violet and Roni Turioff and Richard Fox. He ended up averaging only four and a half points a game uh, his senior season. Eight different players for Gonzaga started at least 12 games for them. They were just a rotating cast of starting lineups but for the most part it was those eight guys um, that was basically the rotation the only player to start all 33 games for Gonzaga was Blake Stepp the only other guy that was close was Winston Brooks who started 30 games but he was not a scorer Uh, he was more of a distributor and a defender than anything else 
Corey Violet by the end of the season was pretty much a mainstay as well. So they're kind of just trying to find out um, exactly how all these new pieces and elevated pieces work together. Because they know Roni Turioff's going to be good. They know Corey Violet's going to be good. Um, but they've got, you know, different role players. And then they've got a new star in Blake Stepp. So it takes them a while to kind of get acclimated with one another. And outside of beating Utah and Washington um, in the non-conference, they basically lose all of their meaningful non-conference games. They lose against their two ranked opponents in Indiana and Kentucky. Uh, they lose at Georgia, they lose to Stanford uh, in a neutral site game, and then they lose in overtime to St. Joe's uh, in the kennel by a point. By the end of the non-conference schedule, they're just 8-5. and five. So they go to the WCC, and they rattle off nine straight wins, but then they lose at Loyola Marymount, and Loyola Marymount finished 7th in the league that year. They were 4-10. and 10. And then a couple games later, they lose at home to Portland, who is also 4-10 and 10 in the WCC. So by the end of the year, um, Gonzaga is 22-7 and seven leading into the WCC tournament. And then they lose in the conference tournament championship to San Diego. So Gonzaga really has no quality wins outside of, you know, maybe Utah, Washington, Washington State. But none of those teams were, were all that good that year. Um, and then they lost to, you know, a couple terrible teams in the WCC. They're 23 and eight. And I think that this was more or less a makeup by the selection committee for, you know, totally screwing them the year before. They gave Gonzaga a number nine seed in the NCAA tournament. And not only did they give him a number nine seed, but they let him play in Utah in the first two rounds, which was essentially a home court advantage for them in their first round game against the Cincinnati team, who was coached by Bob Huggins and had multiple future NBA players on it. Of course, they would go on to beat Cincinnati 74-69, and that started uh, Mark Few's complete ownage uh, over Bob Huggins over the last 20 years. And that, of course, led to their showdown with Arizona in the second round of the NCAA tournament. And we all kind of know how this game went. One of the best NCAA tournament games, not just in Gonzaga history, but over the last 20 years. It went to double overtime. Each team had a chance to win it at regulation or in overtime. And then, of course, it ends with Blake Stepp having a chance to win the game for Gonzaga on a runner at the buzzer, and the ball just rims out. Arizona survives 96 to 95 in double overtime. Arizona roster with Luke Walton, Channing Fry, Salim Stoudemire, and a young Andre Iguodala. Just a bunch of future NBA players on a ridiculously good Arizona team that was 27 and 3 at the time and went all the way to the Elite Eight and lost to Kansas. And then for Gonzaga, if you remember, this was the Tony Skinner game. It wasn't Blake Stepp, although Blake Stepp was fine. He had 25 points and eight assists in that game with zero turnovers. You're never going to complain about that. Blake Stepp, this was actually his best NCAA tournament game of his career. But it was Tony Skinner. He played all 50 minutes for Gonzaga, had 25 points, a career high on 8 of 17 shooting. He was 5 for 11 from deep. Added five rebounds, two assists, a steal, and three blocks. And he was the reason Gonzaga was even in this game uh, for the first 40 minutes. He was absolutely unbelievable. And then uh, Roni Turioff was battling foul trouble all game. And he ended up fouling out 
uh, I believe in the first overtime, and Richard Fox came in, and Richard Fox had one of the best games of his career. He had 13 points and had some huge putbacks, uh, a couple and ones down the stretch of that game. Uh, like I said, he finished with 13 points, five rebounds in, in 19 minutes off the bench. In the end, it wasn't enough, of course, as Arizona held on just barely by a point. And so that ends Gonzaga's season at 24-9. and Blake Stepp, of course, is the star of the team. He was the WCC Player of the Year. He averaged just under 18 points. He averaged six assists. He is the only player in the Mark Few era to average six assists multiple times in a career. He did it in both his junior and his senior season. He's the only player in the Mark Few era to do that twice, or I guess in two different seasons uh, throughout his career. Roni Turioff, as a sophomore, had his breakout season, averaged 15.5 points and six rebounds. Corey Violet with 11.5 points and eight rebounds. This entire team essentially was juniors. Uh, their only two seniors were Zach Gord and Winston Brooks. So they're basically, they knew going into the 2003-2004 season, which we'll talk about tomorrow, that it was essentially the same team, and they were adding a couple really, really talented freshmen in Adam Morrison, Sean Mallon, Derek Rivio. So they knew that this was, um, I, I'm not, I wouldn't say that they knew it was going to be a down year, but they, it was a transition year, much like the, if you want to go further ahead, like the 2014 team was a transition year to get to the 2015 team when Kyle Wilcher uh, was coming off a redshirt and DeMontis Sabonis was coming in uh, as a freshman. And they, they knew that that team was going to be really, really good um, with senior year Gary Bell and, and Kevin Pangos. This was kind of the same deal where they, you know, they were a solid team, but not a great team. But they knew the year after they were going to be a great team. Just to make the tournament and get the first at-large bid in Gonzaga history, and to have the um, you know the the really really good season that Blake Step had uh, overall, it was a successful season. Their style of play was fairly similar to what it's been the past couple of seasons. Um, but like I said at the start of this, they were trying to find the right spots for all of these different new players or guys in elevated roles. Um, so things were kind of choppy for a little bit at the start of the season. But they ended up figuring out that they can go inside more often to Corey Violet and to Roni Turioff. And so they did a lot of high-low action. They got a, th- this era of basketball in the early 2000s with um, Turioff, with Violet, with Casey Calvary. They did what Gonzaga big men still do now. They run the court like crazy and get a ton of early, early post-ups before the defense has a chance to get set. They use their bodies really, really well to get deep positioning, um, and either their guards will get them the ball early, or they'll have a ball reversal, uh, and they kind of seal on the backside and get some uh, big-to-big, high-low lobs. So that's kind of what they did with Turioff and with Violet because of how big they were, and then they used Blake's step in every way possible. They used him with the ball. They used him without the ball. And, of course, he uh, he shot the lights out for most of the season from beyond the arc. He shot 40% uh, on the season, averaging just over three makes per game. So tomorrow we will talk about that senior-laden and veteran 2004 Gonzaga Bulldogs team. Like I said, Blake Stepp is a senior. He ends up becoming a consensus second-team All-American. Roni Turioff has a fantastic year. Adam Morrison enters the fold. So we'll talk about that 2004 group uh, tomorrow on the show. 
to finish today's show, we are going back to our Path to Playing Time series, and we are talking about Abby O'Connor from the women's side. She was a fantastic player at Loyola Chicago before transferring to Gonzaga. But last season at Gonzaga, once she got her waiver uh, to clear her to play, she was not as effective as she was at Loyola. But there's reason to believe that she should be the biggest breakout player on this year's roster, and I'll tell you why to finish today's show. Before we get to that, today's episode is also being sponsored by Bet Online. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. Baseball season's in full swing. You can actually bet on the NBA Summer League if you like, and college football and the NFL are right around the corner. So it's the perfect time to get in on the fun, and you can track all the action at Bet Online. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including Major League Baseball, the NBA, the NFL, and all of your UFC and MMA action. Before the next pitch, head over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. This is your chance to get into the game as baseball teams prep for their runs to the playoffs. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Use promo code Locked On. All right, if there is any player on this Gonzaga women's roster who is a total wild card going into this season, it's Abby O'Connor. For those who don't know who Abby O'Connor is, I'll tell you her story. She was one of the best players in the Missouri Valley Conference when she played at Loyola Chicago for her first three seasons. She came to Gonzaga before the uh, 2021 season and was planning to sit out and redshirt and develop before her waiver was accepted just like Andrew Nemhards was about a week before the season. And um, now she's going to take advantage of her free season and she's going to play her fifth year of college basketball. Her path to playing time this year is to be who she was at Loyola Chicago. I think she spent most of the first half of last season still getting acclimated to Gonzaga's system and she wasn't super, super comfortable yet, which is you know, kind of the same way that Andrew Nemhard was still kind of getting acclimated because neither one of them really practiced much with, you know, the first team players because they were, you know, expecting to redshirt. But by the end of the season, Abby O'Connor was a key part of the rotation and she played right around 15 minutes a night off the bench. At Loyola, if we go back to her three years in the Missouri Valley Conference, she started 89 games in her three years there. She was a starter in every single game while she was at Loyola, and she averaged in double figures all three seasons. She was on the all-freshman team uh, her first year, and then she worked her way up to being an all-first-team Missouri Valley player when she averaged 14 points and eight rebounds as a sophomore while she shot 41% from beyond the arc. That's the type of player that Abby O'Connor can be, and that's the kind of potential that she has going into this season. And it seems like um, the original plan was probably for Abby O'Connor to get acclimated to Gonzaga, develop, learn the system, and then take over for Jill Townsend on the wing once she graduated. Of course, like all of our lives, the pandemic shifted a bunch of parts around, uh, but I think the plan is still viable for her to take over for Jill Townsend. Townsend's now gone. Of course, she graduated. And even though Abby O'Connor didn't redshirt, she's still here and, you know, is acclimated to the system. She developed for a season and she's ready to take over that spot on the wing. Last season at Gonzaga, when she did play uh, mostly at the second half of the season, like I said, she averaged right around 15 minutes a game uh, most nights. 
but she averaged just under three points a game and was essentially uh, relegated to being a spot-up shooter. She's got way more capability than that, and I'm pretty sure they're going to unleash her this coming season. At Loyola, she got to the rim all the time. She attacked the glass. She got a ton of offensive rebounds. She went to the free throw line plenty of times during the game. Uh, she shot 86% across her three seasons when she got to the foul line. She is, she is a very, very dynamic player. And she does it on both ends of the court, too. She's a very, very good defender uh, because, you know, her she's six feet tall. She's got really good length, really good on the defensive end as well. The problem is that she didn't really get a chance to show all of that last season because she played behind Jill Townsend and didn't play that many minutes. Now... It's her time. She has to be that 14.8 rebound player that she was at Loyola Chicago. And honestly, I think Gonzaga would even accept the 10.6 rebound a game version of Abby O'Connor, which is what she put up as a freshman. She's got great size and length at six feet. Like I said, she's really, really versatile. She can play multiple spots on the perimeter. The key now is to get her more involved in the offense. I think it's very possible and it may end up being likely that she slots right into Jill Townsend's spot in the starting lineup on the wing. And if they use her like they used Jill Townsend, she is going to have a huge breakout year. And if she plays anything like she did at Loyola Chicago, she may end up being the best player on Gonzaga's roster this season. And she has the ability to elevate Gonzaga's ceiling perhaps more than anybody else on this roster coming up this year. Okay, that's going to do it for today's show. Tomorrow, another Gonzaga five-star Friday. So why not talk about one of these five-star freshmen? That's what we're going to do. Tomorrow's Path to Playing Time is all about Hunter Salas. Phenomenal athlete, but he's fighting with a handful of really, really talented guards. So how does he differentiate himself enough to earn rotation minutes or possibly even start? We'll discuss that tomorrow on the show. We'll also look back on the 2004 Gonzaga Bulldogs, who had the first perfect WCC record in school history and earned the highest seed in school history before losing way, way too early in the NCAA tournament. Before we go today, if you are a baseball fan, betting on the MLB does not have to be a guessing game if you listen to the new Locked on Bets podcast hosted by your boy Q and handicapping expert Lee Sterling. Get daily picks, blowout specials, wrong team favorite picks, and Lee Sterling's lock of the day. Follow the Locked on Bets podcast brought to you by betonline.ag wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget, please rate and subscribe to this podcast and give us a five-star rating if you will. You can follow me on Twitter at SCargo. Follow the podcast on Twitter at LockedOnZags. If you want to email the show, feel free to do so. It's LockedOnZags at gmail.com. Everybody enjoy your Thursday. We'll see you back here tomorrow for another five-star Friday. It is a great day to be a Zag.